Welcome to The Creative Switch, the podcast inspiring the sensibly successful to switch on their unexpressed creativity for a more fulfilled life. So how does creativity show up in the brain? You'll find out in this episode with my guest, neuroleadership expert, Rachel Bamber. And later, hear a Doubting Doris story with a twist from graphic designer, Cole Dixon. But before we get to that, I want to remind you to head to my website, nikkivalance.com and sign up to join the Creative Switch community and get involved in the creative conversation. Just a quick note that unfortunately the quality of the sound in my conversation with Rachel is not as perfect as we would have liked as she's speaking from an apartment in Bulgaria where building work which was meant to have been completed is still ongoing. First though it's time for some creative news in the edge. In a recent article in Psychology Today by Anthony D. Fredericks, who's the Professor Emeritus of Education at York College of Pennsylvania and a prolific and award-winning author of more than 170 books, including From Fizzle to Sizzle, The Hidden Forces Crushing Your Creativity and How You Can Overcome Them. That's a great title. He discusses the principles of creativity in leadership set out in the book Out of Our Minds, Learning to Be Creative by Sir Ken Robinson. He brings out the concept of, within organisations, creative and non-creative classes, which I'd never really thought about before, and says, when the inherent creativity of everybody is not recognised, celebrated and invited, that any enterprise will suffer. And he also talks about how there are nine principles of creativity and how within organisations in practice they are often ignored. I have to say it made me reflect on things from a different angle, thinking of things from an individual point of view. And I believe we do all have the ability to develop ourselves regardless of the work culture around us. And we can take responsibility for our own creativity. But I'd be really keen to hear your views on this. So do share them with me either in the Creative Switch community or on Twitter. And don't forget, you can find all the links to connect in the show notes. And coming up, you'll learn lots of ways to connect with your own creativity, both inside or outside of work, in my conversation with founder of Brighter Thinking, Rachel Bamber. Welcome, Rachel, to the Creative Switch. It's lovely to have you here. Thank you, Nikki, and I'm absolutely delighted to be here with you today. I'm so pleased that you're able to join me. Could you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? I can, of course. My name's Rachel Bamber and I run a company called Brighter Thinking and I help leaders get more done faster with zero stress. And so I work as an executive coach, trainer, and also I am currently editing my first book. So I'm very excited about that as well. But I help leaders all over the world to be leaders that their teams want to work with and for. And I generally work with director level or above now. I also work with people in elite sport and very creative business owners as well. I'm sure we're going to get into lots of that through the conversation. I want to start because I know that you trained, I mean, there are now many coaches in the world. We both trained as coaches at roughly around the same time, actually. And at that point, it was one of those funny things where you said, oh, I'm a coach. And people said, oh, does that, what, netball? You know, because I just didn't have any idea what it meant. And now I think people are much more familiar with it. But 
you have a particular discipline training that I think is really interesting, which is a focus on the brain. So could you tell us a little bit about how you came to do that, how that perhaps differentiates the way you work? Yeah, sure. I um, studied quite a long time ago now. Do you know I know. For 10 years that I did that allow me to blow my own trumpet for a moment, but I'm the first person in the world to achieve a particular qualification in the postgrad diploma in the neuroscience of leadership. And what that means is I studied how brain works and apply it into the real world. And with the advent of technology, we are able to peer inside the brain using fMRI scanners, which some of you may have seen in hospitals, etc., and actually see what is happening real time in the brain. So technology has helped us to learn, and I think actually confirm what we already know about the brain, sort of what our intuition says. And so by doing that, we're able to understand our friends better, our family better, everyone around us. And of course, leaders can utilize that with who they work with and of mm. course, customers and everybody. Applications are universal. I've even mm. helped children using the knowledge that we now have. So I think it very much differentiates me because everything I do is what I call brain friendly. From the way I do my coaching, the way I do training, and I do train others in coaching skills, and um, even the way I produce my blogs and and things like that. So that's, you know, I think it helps people understand. And my clients will ask me for uh, strategies about how the brain works. And, you know, they go and implement them and always find that it's really made a positive impact. Yeah. Just just to say, you did say before we started that there was some building work going on. So if it gets too difficult, we'll, we'll just reschedule and do it another time. That sounds really Things loud, cost. doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's been quiet. And so hopefully so they, they'll be on lunch soon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. So obviously, I'm assuming you don't sit with your clients in a scanner, but it's the knowledge that's been gained through the science that you've then been able to incorporate in your understanding of how the brain works and then teaching people to, to use that to their advantage in this brain-friendly way. So talking specifically about creativity then, is there something you can tell us about what creativity is, how it works, what's going on in the brain when someone is being creative? Oh, that's a very big question, Nikki. I know. I know. <laughs> Just give us a light touch over the top, yeah. really simplified Mickey Mouse version. Well, the one thing that I think neuroscience has shown is that there was this old belief that we've got a sort of right brain and left brain mm-hmm. and that people were sort of either one or the other, the left brain being more analytical, the right brain being the sort of more creative side. Now, why that is still the sort of case in a way, but we know that our brain is very plastic, meaning that it doesn't use necessarily particular parts as in 100% all the time Mm. um, for various things. There are um, areas where we're more likely to, you know, the brain will process speech, for example. But if we were to put both of us in the scanner and go, where's your creative part? It would be all over the place, as in if you were wanting to solve a particular challenge, for example, which, of course, many leaders, many people at work, you know, their creativity comes out through innovation. 
having ideas, mm-hmm. solving problems, if you like, our areas in our brain wouldn't be the same because it depends on our experience, our existing neural connections that are already in the brain, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. If, that, if that sounds a bit um, complicated, you know, if we were both thinking of the colour red, again, the areas that would light up, and what I mean by that, in the scanners, people are given sort of glucose, for example, to show the areas that are lighting up the blood, if you like, as well. We would have all sorts of different areas in both of our brains. And of course, everyone listening as well. We, no two brains are alike. Yeah. That is what neuroscience has really shown. Right. Okay. So our creativity will come from all sorts of things. And like everything in the brain, it's use it or lose it. Yeah. So do you think everybody, so is it more fundamental than people think? Because there's a lot of discussion at the moment about what's essential for us to teach our children. So it's essential that they all do maths until 18. I'm not going to get into political discussions here, but I think you can probably tell from my tone of voice that I don't necessarily think that's a great idea. But having said that, maths is something that can be creative in the same way as painting. So what is the... What is the sort of the essence of human beings and their creativity? Is it something that everybody has and just applies it differently, do you think? Or what is the essence of creativity in in your own view? What do you think it is? Another great question. And I think in my view, we are all born with a brain that has this capacity. And so therefore, we can all be creative. Now, What has been shown is that when we are born, there does seem to be a bias. And this is often linked to family, if you like, where some parts of our brain may be, I say, more developed than others. So, for example, to give me as an example, I'm very good with words and processing and reading them really, really fast. Maths, on the other hand, I'm not. But as a family bias in that And so it could be argued, did I sort of was born with that or was that nurtured as well? So then it sort of reinforces itself. Um, But with creativity, it does seem to be that if you are given the opportunities in childhood to be creative, that's why creative play is so important. And I would argue as an adult as well. And if you are around uh, people that are creative, then are you more likely to go on and be that? That saying... I did some work in a prison in England and I was helping them advise and sort of coach them around what they were going to do when they got out of prison. And one of the things that really struck me, and apologies because I might get emotional with this, there was a young guy who was age 19 and whilst he'd been in prison, he'd discovered his talent for art. And all around the day room where we were, there were paintings from previous people that had been in that prison and he didn't know that he had this talent and it was going to prison that opened up the opportunity for him and I was it was so in a way sad that throughout his childhood you know he'd got to an adult and never realized that he had this Mm -hmm. innate talent Mm -hmm. and he was going to be exhibiting after he came out so I do believe that we can absolutely learn to be mm. more creative, we exercise muscles, we tone them up. So with our brain, the same. The more creative endeavours we do, mm. the more likely then that's going to help us. 
And mm. going back to what you said about education, I believe that creativity and music, sport, everything should mm. be in education because it cross-pollinates the brain, uses lots of different areas, and therefore you are, you've got a lot more neural connections. And I know there's a, uh, somebody I know who sort of, he's an artist and he actually goes into companies to help them work their creative muscles more. I think this skill is going to become much more desired with the mm -hmm. advent of AI because, dare I say it, the sort of industrial revolution that we're having now, which is AI, is that going to take away some skilled work, jobs, mm -hmm. Whereas previous industrial revolutions, it was more unskilled work. But AI at the moment, you know, it doesn't have that creative capacity. Now, I'm sure there are humans on this planet right now who want it to do all sorts of things. And I also, for the record, um, I know I've spoken about this before, but I believe as coaches, we will be replaced at one point in the future because they want AI to have this ability. But mm -hmm. being able to solve problems, being able to think, being able to write and draw and sort of uh, invent things, if you like, those skills, I think, are going to still be very much required. And of course, as I say that, I know AI is producing books and all sorts of things as well. So, but will we know that it comes from that? And obviously, mm. that's for the regulators in, in the future. Yeah. Who knows? yeah, it's a very, very interesting topic. We're on the, we're actually in the middle of it now. I think a lot of people haven't realised quite how, how integrated it is into our lives. But I'm totally with you. I think actually, whereas previously we've not valued those creative skills in the past as mm. much as perhaps the STEM subjects and so on. And again, I'm not saying that within science, you're not going to be creative because you do have to innovate within that area. But I think the true creativity of humans won't ever be able to be replicated. I mean, obviously, AI takes inputs from everything that we've created. So it's only as good as the stuff that we've already got that's out in the world already. But what I think is unique about humans is the fact that every single brain is different, is the fact that something can be created using different parts of the brain, which perhaps people who are studying the brain wouldn't have expected. And I think then what we've got to do is, as a society is work out how we can actually use that creativity to best endeavour and tap into it and allow people to be freer to tap into it as opposed to trying to make us all study the same things and follow a particular path because we're all different. But yeah, it's a, it's, I mean, that's a whole other podcast. I'm sure there are already <laughs> podcasts about it out there. It's a whole other thing. But I am really fascinated by it. And I went to a exhibition in the British Design Museum and they had the first AI artist robot who they've trained to make art through images she has seen. So she has effectively got eyes and the input has gone in through that way. But it's really curious because it's, it's sort of at the moment quite primitive. And in fact, the team that built her which includes a whole load of disciplines of, of different people. They didn't set out to replace artists. What they did is set out to ask the question, is this art? Are humans the only people who can make art? Just to raise awareness of how much technology can do, but then to look at the question of, you know, what are its limitations and, and so on. So it's a, it's a fascinating area. Mm -hmm. 
for people who want to use their creativity and perhaps aren't, some of the things that, that get in the way, and I think definitely they could use some knowledge about how the brain works to perhaps overcome these. If I ask them perhaps in order rather than asking them all at once. So the first thing is people worry. They fear doing something that they've sat on that they think perhaps has been judged as not worthy or they're not good enough at it. How would you encourage someone to tap into something that they're worrying about, they're scared of? Hmm. Well, obviously just do it. <laughs> That's the uh, obvious answer there. But of course, you know, we know it's not as easy as that. And mm. I know through nearly 20 years experience coaching clients that um, we don't want to face what we fear. And so that's why obviously having a coach can really help there. It's switching off that judgmental mind and mm. which we all have, by the way, we can all, we all have, can have this inner critic with some it's louder than others I've found. And it's knowing that um, just by maybe thinking of it as a creativity exercise, that is gonna then help. So mm. it's getting started, getting small, and also, I would suggest enlisting support. Now, that need not be a coach. It could be like one of my clients is doing um, sort of drawing workshops, for example. And she is aiming them. Caroline Banks is her name. She's an artist in London. She is aiming them at people who are fearful of mm. getting out and doing something. And or maybe they used to as a child and they feel like they've forgotten how. So there's people like her who are offering solutions to help go and do it. And of course, there's been adult classes for ages for art and all sorts of things. So I would encourage people to do that. But also knowing that everyone does have an ability. And actually, if you talk to artists, well, everyone can draw and paint. But of course, it's what other people might value. That is, you know, subjective, isn't it? Totally. And yeah. I think often comes, you talk about the inner critic, but I have a feature that's going to be in the podcast, which I'm going to ask the, the listeners to get involved in, which is called, Who is Your Doubting Doris? Often the stories of creative people, there's somebody somewhere mm -hmm. in their background who either was an advocate and who said, you're great at this you should do this more of it. You should practice mm. this skill. You should enhance it. You should learn. Or they have someone who has said, oh, no, oh, no, you can't do that. Oh, that's not good enough. Oh, you'll never be good enough mm. to do that. Some, But it's interesting, isn't it? Because sometimes, depending on who you are, the latter is the thing that makes you get up and do something. Is someone telling you you can't. But for other people, it mm -hmm. really knocks their confidence and it stops them from trying. If someone's got that voice in their head, who is, a, I don't know, a relative or a teacher from the past, do you have any techniques or tips that you could give someone to overcome that and to stop that block from being there yeah and absolutely that's an interesting point you raise because yeah we allow others to determine what we do and I do hear that a lot but one thing that I think is key here is actually probably is confidence overall not just thinking about confidence in our creativity I would suggest thinking about how can I enhance my creativity through building my confidence elsewhere. Because when we've got an inner confidence to think, I'll just give it a go, we'll apply that all over the place in our life and yeah. at work. Yeah. So that's the key thing mm. that I would do. Mm. So I would suggest, let's say, to somebody that was a coaching client of mine, perhaps an action around, they were, how can you build your confidence? What's something else that you don't want to do and that you're fearful of? Let's start there and then bring it back 
uh, yeah. to the creativity. Now, yeah. the other thing, perhaps, you know, say they want to draw or write, is actually give them a challenge. Spend five minutes drawing or writing anything like by yourself. Nobody needs ever to see it. And just challenge yourself to do that. Now, I suggest five minutes because in our brain, five minutes is an achievable amount of time. The brain can get its head around five minutes. We can see the sort of start of that and the end. And that makes us more likely to do it because often we'll procrastinate on things. And I've worked with clients who are all sorts of creative endeavors. But when they think that, you know, that's that going to take ages, mm. so we won't get started on that. Mm. I'm thinking of another client that I've worked with running a successful business and changing into another type of creative business. And it was actually helping her to give herself permission to spend time in the working day pursuing her creative interests mm. because she stopped doing that. And actually, she then became overwhelmed, stressed. She wasn't getting anything else done. And of course, mm. that became a vicious cycle. So by actually encouraging her to say, look, this is who you are. And I say that because what I've noticed in all my time coaching is that when creative people come to me and there's normally something like overwhelmed, not, their motivation has gone mm -hmm. overall and they're feeling like they're stuck. What I'm noticing is that by encouraging them to be who they are, to accept that they're creative, they need to have this outlet, then they will flourish and their motivation comes back. So yeah. for everyone listening, I would say, look, you know you like to be creative and it's going to come out in all sorts of different ways. Give yourself permission to do whatever it is and to know that that is going to nourish you, stimulate you and make everything else much easier. Does that make sense, Nikki? It does. Yeah, totally. When we first started working together, I'd identified that I knew there was a creative bone and skill that wasn't being exercised. I didn't even know what it was going to be. But very quickly, having said, yes, I want to have a goal. I don't want it to be structured. I want to just explore. I think mm. within two weeks, it had gone from a creative goal, very nebulous, could be anything, to, oh, no, I want to write a book, to actually, no, I actually want to be published. And obviously, it had been quite latent. But as you say, giving yourself permission to try and explore, I think that's the key word there. The freer you are to feel it doesn't matter what happens. The outcome is not the point. It's the, it's the expression of yourself and what, you know, what will come out will come out. With a sense of well-being, so not necessarily someone who wants to produce work that is for the world, for others to see mm. and to share that, but that part of everybody that's creative. Why is it that that is good for us, just in terms of expressing ourselves and, and feeling fulfilled? Why is it that it works in that way? Yeah, and I think actually we'd have to ask everyone individually, yeah. what does yeah. it do for you? As humans, we do have this desire to create. We're very goal-focused humans. Mm. Well, you know, that's why we've um, uh, been very successful as a species, because we like to create and like to evolve. Mm. But I think it's part of how we process our emotions and also learning. And if people are interested in this who are not writing, sure, you've heard Julia Cameron's The Writer's Way just writing morning pages, just writing a stream of consciousness, a journal, for example, of just what you think. 
that can be very cathartic. By writing things down, it helps process what's going on in our brain. And actually writing down with pen and paper has been Mm -hmm. shown to be more effective than actually typing on a keyboard. The neuroscientists are still not entirely sure why, but the motor part of the brain uh, where we have all our motor skills from, that has been shown to be really essential in learning and gets activated. So anything we can do to that, I think it helps us make sense of the world. And I'm sure everyone listening would think, oh yeah, it helps me de-stress. One of the things I like doing, which some would say, is that creative, but I would argue is, is baking, cooking. Mm. And by doing that, I'm totally absorbed in what I'm doing and not thinking about anything. The same as when I'm writing, I'm in flow and I always feel better. Yeah. If I've gone for a period of not being creative, and interestingly, I'm traveling at the moment and coming to you from Bulgaria. I haven't had the opportunity so much to do that, and I'm very aware that I'm missing it. So when I'm back yeah. in the UK, it's going to be something I do. Now, interesting, I mentioned about travel because there is some, I think, quite new research that's coming out that travel is supposed to benefit our creative muscles. Now, the link that I can make is that wherever we put ourselves in new situations, see new things, hear new things, have new experiences, what our brain is going to do is have new insights, make new connections. And I, for example, sometimes will encourage clients to go often to an art gallery or a museum or even sit in another room or another part of the room because Whatever it is you're wanting to solve, whatever challenge, you will perceive it differently. So having that different perspective is going to help us be creative, which of course is back to what I said earlier about you know this cross-pollination. I know some companies, I think it was Google in London, wanted to have their headquarters in King's Cross next to art, next to science, next to other types of industries because they want people to talk and connect. And so therefore, this whole idea of multi-brain approach, utilising everyone's particular strengths or what they love doing, that's going to help us solve challenges much faster. Brilliant. That's really interesting. So there's a mindfulness element to creativity. There's a self-fulfilling part of it. As yeah, as you say, dealing with, with stress or overwhelm, it helps with all of those. What about most people's bugbear when there's something they're trying to achieve and they can't get it done. What about procrastination? Because so many authors I know, so many of the artists and the creatives I'm talking to, don't understand why this happens to them because they think, well, I want this to happen. I want to create this thing. What is it that's stopping me from getting on with it? I know I've experienced this as well. And of course, I help clients uh, with their procrastination and motivation. So it makes it even more frustrating when I think, ah, I know I'm doing this. First of all, I would say the brain is designed to procrastinate. Okay. And therefore, let's all breathe a sigh of relief and go, do you know what? I'm normal. There's nothing wrong with me. I'm procrastinating. Brain does this. Okay. So that's the first thing I would say to everyone. Just don't worry about it. Now, of course, if it becomes chronic and the thing we really want to do, we keep putting off and we're doing all this other displacement activities instead, then that will start to frustrate us even more and upset us, overwhelm us and all the rest of it. So how can we stop that? Of course, 
one of the things that is linked with procrastination is this fear of wanting to do it perfectly. So that's the first thing. It's wanting to do perfect work first time. I would challenge everyone to really understand that everything you see out there, the songs, the music that we hear, the paintings and the sculptures that we view, the books that we read, we're not seeing the first iteration of that, as you will appreciate this. Pivotal wasn't the first draft that you ever wrote. Absolutely not. (laughs) No. And I think we can forget that because we think, oh, you know, people are producing all this work and at such a faster rate and it has to be perfect first time. So it's giving, again, and I'm using the word permission today and allowing yourself to write the crappy first draft, for example, and to do the original line sketch of a painting, which, by the way, until I went to art galleries and saw these on display, I had no idea that artists did that. I didn't know they did this like preliminary sketch and then they did the painting. Again, I just thought they came up to the canvas and off they went. So it's allowing yourself permission to get it wrong Mm -hmm. for a start, not worry about it being perfect. And also, again, though, sort of having that, well, how can I make this easier? I wrote my book by doing it in five minute or 30 minute chunks and actually putting the timer on because I'm very deadline focused like a lot of my clients and that actually feeds into the brain because the thought of achieving that deadline that's what gets our dopamine going if you like it's one of the neurotransmitters in the brain and it's the seeking behavior that fires that up and it's the thought of it that thought of the reward, if you like, the, yeah. so the thought of that timer going off and having done the writing, or that anticipation of the reward is very mm. motivating. And of course, once we've completed that, we will get, um, for example, serotonin, another neurotransmitter, the feel-good, endorphins, if you like, in the brain will then kick in. That then is great feedback for the brain because it will think, and I'm, I'm sort of making it very simple here, but it will think, well, yeah. this feels good. I want this again, I'll more likely do that again. So we're really tapping into the reward network. Now, of course, we can also utilize the limbic system, which is where we regulate our emotions in the brain or part of it. And also it's what I think everyone will be familiar with, the fight and flight response. It's inbuilt. It's one of the oldest part of the brain. And that's where the fear comes from. And so, of course, the fear of the deadline that's why I actually think having an external deadline is probably more helpful. So having a coach who is going to say, well, how did you get on writing however much you were going to write or working on your art or doing whatever it is, that can be really helpful because we don't want to let the other person down and we've made it public. So the thrill of the deadline is going to work. And so I utilize that and I encourage my clients to, if they're motivated that way, by setting their own mini deadlines. But add in extra time because you might get ill. You know, things might happen. It might take longer. You might not be able to do the 30 minutes a day, for example, that you set yourself. So it's also, I think, you know, that fear of not being good enough. But what I would say to that, that's just a story. And how long are you going to live by that story? Probably, as you said, Nikki, it's not your story. It's somebody else's. And it's how long are you going to allow that to keep you small? And knowing yeah. it's just a story, 
can then go, well, I can write a new story. Now, of course, people listening might think, well, that sounds easy and sounds a bit glib. It's not going to happen overnight. But through repetitive action, going, do you know what? I'll just spend five minutes doing something creative. That's all that I need to do. Gradually, what's going to happen in the brain, you're going to create these new neural connections that are, in essence, going to create this new story of belief. Oh, I am creative. I'm enjoying this. And it will come from there. So that expression, nothing worth having is easy. And fear is there, but courage is acting in spite of fear. And I'll say that again. Courage is acting in spite of fear. We all have fears, and I've coached thousands of clients all around the world. We all have a fear. We'll all have different fears, but it's going, okay, you know, in my case, oh, I've got to get the neuroscience right. And I probably haven't today, by the way, in the podcast at all. But, um, you know, it's about getting it right. You know, everyone's going to see it. And it's like, okay, well, I might not. But is it more important that I get out what I want to say Yeah. than thinking I've got to get it all correct? So does that yeah, help? Yeah, definitely. I think there's some really good tips there for people. We're almost out of time, but I wanted to ask you firstly about your creative project. So you've talked about your book. What's going on with that? Well, I am editing it, nearly finished editing it. And this first book is around neuroscience and coaching. That's the focus. And it wasn't actually the first book that I was going to write. I was actually invited to do it. And I sort of feel this one's a hard and I've got other things that I do want to write. So it's nearly there and will be published later this year. And so that's one of the projects. I do write regularly anyway. I write blogs, brighter thinking tips that I send out monthly. And another creative project is that, and you're the first to hear this, by the way, but I'll be launching a training program around brighter thinking coaching and sort of linking the neuroscience, creativity, intuition, neuro-linguistic program, all sorts of things. Everything I've learned over the years is going to come together, as well as sort of being creative in travelling that I'm doing at the moment as a digital nomad, having a completely different life. Perhaps being creative because I've got a limited wardrobe now, so having to think (laughs) of new ways of um, uh, how I can put things together, I don't know. (laughs) Excellent. It's been fantastic talking to you. Um, I'm sure people will take away lots and lots of useful tips about how to tap into their creativity and the challenges that lots of us face, not just people who are creatives, but a lot of the things you've talked about are actually applicable to all aspects of our lives. So thank you so much for that. Where can people find you? Where do you hang out? Where can they connect with you? Where would you direct people to? Thank you, Nikki. I would absolutely love everyone to connect with me at rachelbamber.com. And you can sign up to receive my monthly Brighter Thinking tips, which is all about brain-friendly strategies to help you get more out of life and work. And again, I do put things around creativity in there. So that's rachelbamber.com. I'm also um, sort of social media, LinkedIn tends to be the one that I am on most. And that is um, LinkedIn, Rachel Bamber, Brighter Thinking. Yeah, same photo. So hopefully people can find find you easily there. Excellent. Thank you so much for your time and good luck with the book. You'll have to let me know when it's due for publication and I'll chat for that too. Thank you so much, Rachel. Thank you very much for having me on the Creative Switch, Nikki.
What a conversation with Rachel, packed full of brain-friendly tips. Let me just remind you to head to nickyvalance.com to join the Creative Switch community, or do follow me on Twitter at Nikki underscore Valance. Now, I've been scouring my network for interesting Doubting Doris stories. This time, it's graphic designer Cole Dixon, whose story is slightly different and links nicely to something that Rachel mentioned earlier. If this is your first encounter with this feature, a Doubting Doris is a trusted adult who, when you shared your creative dreams with them, suggested you should keep your passion as a hobby or get a proper job. And those encounters with Doubting Doris stories often come at a pivotal time and can be a turning point. But sometimes the voice inside your head that holds you back is not a person. It's your own voice. Let me share Cole's story and you'll see what I mean. When he was at school, Cole didn't even know what a graphic designer was or discussed as a careers path. And throughout his working life, he ended up behind bars or as a waiter and then going on to work in credit control. But he would look at brochures and intrinsically know how to improve on the design and became more familiar with an understanding of graphic design. So after two years working at BP in finance, hoping that a psychopath would come into the office daily to ram his head into the monitor to stop the monotony, he saved up enough money to go back to university at the age of 31 to do an H&D in graphic design and illustration and then a BA in graphic design and illustration. He started his design career at 35 with Tesco. So lots of people believe that it is those people who've influenced us that stop us from following our chosen creative career. But it isn't really their negative voices. It's our own negative voices. And to anyone suffering self-doubt, Cole gives this piece of advice. Get out of your own way. If you genuinely have a passion for something, don't sit and pity yourself. Make it happen. Find a way. And more importantly, dial down the negative voice saying you can't and amplify your positive voice to say, I can and I will. Cole did this by surrounding himself with people who had belief in him. So if you have a Doubting Dora story and you want to share it, please come and join us in the community and share it with me there or on Twitter if that makes it easier for you. I really look forward to hearing from you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Creative Switch. If you enjoyed it, please leave a review over on podchaser.com. And if you've got any questions, please let me know on Twitter at Nikki underscore Valance. I do hope you join me for episode six, where author Sarah Nisha Adams shares the moment she switched to being a full-time author. And remember, why survive when you can thrive? <laughs>